children at this time, third grade below, as well as nursery. What you are about to hear, uh, what you are about to hear, are words that perhaps are unmatched when it comes to literary beauty, and more significantly, words that are unmatched when it comes to spiritual profoundness. <coughs> Just like you to listen. Some of you are going to want to open your Bibles if they're already open. Fine. Some of you, when you hear these words, are going to know where they come from, so you're going to want to open your Bibles, and by all means, I don't want to keep you from opening your Bibles, but if you just listen, have this be a time of engaged meditation in light of these great, great words. Hear now God's Word. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After, ma after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I don't know of anything that matches those words when it comes to literature. And I don't know of anything that matches those words when it comes to spiritual significance for us. I love those words. Hebrews chapter 1. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Hebrews 1. Go home today and read Hebrews 1 out loud in the privacy of your own privacy. Read Hebrews 1 and it just sounds amazing. It is a, an amazing, amazing passage about an unmatched, unrivaled, amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. It is absolutely fantastic. And this morning what we're going to do in light of the fact that this is Christmas week is we are going to be looking at Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, and we'll set it up with the title of that famous favorite Christmas carol, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? Well, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 gives a great answer to what child is this, and that's what we'll do this morning. We'll do it next Sunday as well, the day after Christmas. Uh, we'll look at nine statements from this text answering the question, What Child Is This? We'll look at six this morning and three next time. What child is this? Number one, he is the final word. He is the final word. There in verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. 
Acknowledging, first of all, as, as He's going to say, He spoke to us through His Son, let's first see, as we see Jesus is the final word from God, let's first see that God is a speaking God, the God who is named Yahweh, the God who is uh, the God of creation, the God of redemption, the God that we read so much about in the first 39 books of the Bible in the Old Testament. He's a God who has a reputation for speaking. He is unlike the idols of the nations that are made with human hands and they don't speak. He is a God who's graciously revealed Himself. And not only once, not only twice, not only a few times, He has spoken in many different ways at many different times. He is a God who graciously has revealed Himself. He is not the, the impersonal first cause of philosophers uh, who, are, who is silent. No, He is this God who reveals Himself and in so many diverse ways. Notice He does say in verse 1, as He climaxes everything with Christ, many times, many ways. Well, how did He do that? Well, to our fathers, those who have gone before us spiritually, and it's been by the prophets. He uses that word in a very broad sense in Hebrews 1 because he's going to go into how he's spoken through Moses and he's spoken through others. So prophets as in so many, not just Isaiah, not just Jeremiah, but even Moses, even Joshua, even David, not to mention the normal ones, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, etc., etc. In other words, 39 books of speaking or recorded speech. He's spoken in so many different ways. And yet, as good as that is, as gracious as that is, there's something about it that is lacking. In fact, even the two words he uses there in verse 1, many ways, comes from one Greek word. Some scholars translate it as in many parts or many pieces. Yes, it's great God has revealed Himself, and yet there's something that needs to be brought together. There's been miscellaneous revelation. It's been great, yes, gracious, yes. But in many pieces and in many parts, awaiting one specific climactic revelation to bring all of the pieces together, to bring all of the parts together, to have it all click and make sense. And you know where he's going with that. The one supreme revelation, verse 2, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Exclamation point, right? Emboldened, underlined, large font. In these last days, all of the pieces have been brought together. And we've had this ultimate revelation, this one final revelation from God. He's spoken to us, drum roll, right? In His Son. Supreme, unique, different. That is the central statement, really, of all of these verses, these first four verses of Hebrews. And in many ways, it's the central statement to everything we read in the entire book. God has spoken, and He's spoken through His Son. What child is this? This child is the final word from God, the climactic word from God, the, the, the word from God, the revelation from God that, that helps all the pieces come together and brings it all into one. The ultimate revelation, the height of revelation, the unequaled revelation, the perfect culmination of all other revelations. And do you notice it says this has happened in these last days. 
borrowing that strategic phrase from the Old Testament used so many different times by the prophets or regarding the prophets when they spoke, whether it be Isaiah or Daniel, in these last days when that's used, it's talking about where there's fulfillment of prophecy, where there's culmination, where everything comes together. He's using that strategic phrase. It's used in Isaiah 2.2, it's used in Daniel 10.14, Hosea 3.5, Micah 4.1 as a sampling. The last days. As one person put it, because God has fulfilled His promises uttered through the prophets and spoken climactically and finally in His Son, we now have a fundamental turning point that has been reached. These are those last days. Why? Because God has revealed Himself through His Son. All the pieces were pointing there. What child is this? The ultimate revelation from God. Isn't it grand? Jesus is different. Oh, Moses, God used him greatly. Oh, yes, David, God used him greatly. And we can go down the line in the many diverse ways that God has spoken. And we can praise God that he has not been a God who's been silent. But it all comes together in the person of Jesus. That's why we worship Him and not those others who have come before. That's what makes Him different, unique. It was all ultimately about Him. The final word in these last days, the days that would be referred to as the time of Christ and the time that follows Him. Why? Because he's the son. He's the son. What child is this? Number two. He is heir of all things. He is heir of all things. We see this also in verse two. His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And you'll get this when you read Hebrews. There are all these all things kinds of statements. Sufficiency, supremacy, all-inclusive of everything. Jesus Christ is the heir. If someone has a will and leaves their possessions, their, their valuables, they have heirs. Well, guess what? Jesus is the heir of all things. No doubt this is influenced, and Hebrews quotes the Old Testament so often, it's influenced by Psalm 2.8. You might even have that in the margin of some of your Bibles that you're using. Psalm 2.8, no doubt it's, it's, it's depending upon that and relying upon what's taught there. Listen to Psalm 2.8. The Father speaking to the Son says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage or your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. Son, ask me and I will give you the nations. I will give you everything. Well, Jesus is the heir of all things. What child is this? <laughs> He's the heir of everything. Perhaps also influencing that passage in Hebrews chapter 1 would be Genesis 17 where God promises Abraham to make him the father of many nations. Similar kind of verbiage, and many would suggest, and it would seem to make sense, there's an echo here of Genesis 17, verse 5. I've appointed you the father of many nations. Well, number one, he seems to make it even broader, all things, not just nations. 
but we even find ultimately the reason we can have what we call the Abrahamic covenant is not because Abraham is worthy. Abraham was a sinner. Just read about his life in the Old Testament. Ultimately, the reason we can have fulfillment in these great, great covenants like the Abrahamic covenant would be because of the work of Christ, because of the work of Jesus. He is worthy. He is the heir of all things, secured by the virtue of his completed work, still waiting for all of this to come into fruition, the heir of all things. What child is this? Number three, he is creator of the world. He is creator of the world. Hopefully you're catching on by now that this is all designed for us to see that Christ is better, Christ is unmatched, Christ is unrivaled, Christ is everything, and we should worship Him. Not our old religions. We shouldn't go back and think, well, maybe Christ really isn't that great. I need to go backward and go back to my old religion, or maybe whether it's formalized or just religion of self. Is it really worth it? Is Jesus really that that significant? And the author of Hebrews is saying, yes. Let me remind you. He's the creator of the world. Look what it says in verse 2 regarding the Son. Through whom also He, speaking of God the Father, created the world. It's amazing. Now, most properly, we would say the Father is emphasized in the Scripture as the creator and not the Son. But here He's saying the Father created the world. How? By means of agency of he created the world through the sun the sun creates in that sense this is absolutely astounding this is amazing and at first it's amazing because you think that he created the world why would you go anywhere else why would you do that he created the he created the earth no other god has done that no idol has done that i have not done that jesus has done that I think it even gets better based upon the word choice that he uses. He doesn't use the typical word for world, the word cosmos, which obviously we know from cosmology. He uses I own, ages, universe, broad, inclusive. One grammarian says, whole created universe of time and space is meant. It's even bigger than, 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 than just the dirt, than just the planet. He's created the ages. He's created everything that is. What child is this? He's the creator. Reminds me of Peter. When when Jesus says, do you want to leave too? Everybody's leaving. And Peter says, where should we go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. Well, in the same spirit of Peter, I would say, well, where else would we go? You find me a God who created everything that is. There are no others. If Jesus created all of it, this is brain tripping. It's fantastic. Who is Jesus? Oh, he's the creator. (laughs) Got something better? (laughs) It's impossible. He's supreme. He is God's final, ultimate, culminating word. He is the one who created the world. Heir of all things. The babe in the manger, we celebrate His incarnation. We should celebrate His incarnation. 
Because the one who made everything pre-existently right humbled himself and became one of us. So long before he was born in Bethlehem, he's the eternal creator God. This is absolutely amazing. Colossians 1.16 similarly says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, I love it, for him. It would make sense if he made it all. It's ultimately for his honor and for his glory. That's why we do worship him. That's why we do worship him. What child is this? He's the sovereign creator of all things who humbled himself, Philippians 2, and became one of us because he loved us to redeem us. Again, think about original audience. From what we can tell reading through Hebrews, they're being persecuted. Some are starting to climb up on the fence. Some are on the fence wondering whether or not they should go back to Judaism. Go back to the temple where you can offer sacrifices again and again and again. Go back there. You, you could sit in your living room and still hear the sounds of the temple. You could walk by and smell the incense. You could see the priests dressed in their holy hardware. Robes. All of the stuff. It sure seems more significant than us sitting in the living room talking about Jesus who died and rose again and is gone now and who didn't even have a house. Maybe I'll go back to Judaism. It seems to have more to offer. And the writer to Hebrews is saying, He made the world! (laughs) He's unparalleled, matchless! And you might not be in the same scenario that those original people are in, but there's always this tug to go to something else. And in the spirit of Hebrews, I'm here to say, where else would you go? We're talking about the one who made Ion, the one who made everything. There is nowhere else to go. He is that grand and that magnificent. He is everything. Not only that, in the midst of persecution, as those original uh, folks were experiencing, some of them, and the hardships of life, no doubt, now it gets a little bit more close to home for more of us. Again, where else would you go to make it through the difficulty? There is no higher power to cry out to. There is nothing more steadfast, more powerful, more significant. We're talking about none other than God himself who gives himself for us as a human being. It's amazing. Creator of all things. What a great reminder when we're tempted to go elsewhere. I realize some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not so sure I believe Jesus was the creator. That's contrary to my philosophy. Well, I can't change your mind. I can tell you you're playing on the wrong team. Just think about it. If Jesus is who he said he was, 
you might want to get traded. <laughs> You're playing for the wrong team. If this weren't church and I weren't speaking in front of kids, I'd use the word stupid, but I won't. <laughs> Think about this. You don't think Jesus was the creator? I can't change your mind. I worship him because he's the creator of all things. You say, but I can't get my mind around that because I don't have a point of reference. I'm with you. <laughs> I don't have a point of reference either. That's kind of the whole thing. I don't worship him because it's illogical. Read the Bible. There's all kinds of logic. Read Hebrews. There's all kinds of logic. It's not a matter of it's illogical so I worship. That's dumb. But if we're talking about the one who is the creator, the one who is God, the one true God, you, you, you won't have an analogy. You, 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 won't, you won't have a reference. You won't, you won't have something that's exactly the same that you can reproduce and say, okay, now I'm in. Because now, actually, if you could do that, you wouldn't worship Jesus because there's actually two. Creator of all things? What child is this? He's the creator of all things. Number, number four, what child is this? He's the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. That's exactly what we see in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Some translations use the word reflection. I like radiance better. Because the idea is brightness. Reflection could... It's just it doesn't seem to be as strong. Brightness seems to be the idea. S. Lewis Johnson, one of my favorite old Bible teachers, said this. The Son of God flashes forth the glory of God. It's just a great image of radiance. When you see Jesus, what does he do? He flashes forth the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God? Look to Christ because in a magnificent awe-striking, mind-staggering, overwhelming way, as with a great flash of light, radiantly you see God. It's an emphatic kind of picture, emphasizing His oneness with the Father. A good cross-reference would be John 14, 9. If you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. It's because He is the flash. He is the one who flashes forth the glory of God. We sing that song sometimes, or we usually we hear it sung by others. Mary, did you know? One of the stanzas goes like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And then this line at the end of the stanza, And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? It's a good lyric. Because he flashes forth the glory of God as the God man. 
Again, you say, help me, Pastor. I can't get my mind around that. And I say, you help me because I can't get my mind around it. That's sort of the point. If there is no other like this, guess what? Bow the knee and have your mouth fall open in awe and adoration and you praise Him like the angels in heaven do. Unique. Hebrews is about the uniqueness of Christ. Synonyms, supremacy of Christ, the otherliness of Christ, the matchlessness of Christ. Extraordinary nature of Christ. Because He and He alone, not Moses, not Abraham, not David, not the guy walking down the street telling everybody He's Messiah or whoever it might be, He and He alone flashes forth the glory of God. Oh yes, Mary, do you know when you kiss the baby's face, you're kissing the face of God? Wow. That's who the child is. It's Jesus. The radiance of the glory of God is who He is. Number five, what child is this? We'll do six this morning and then we'll do three next time. What child is this? He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. We see this in verse 3 as well. And the exact imprint of His nature. You can see where I got my outline. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't take a paycheck this week. Um, I just plagiarized the Bible for a sermon. Imagine that. (laughs) It's a good way to go when you can do that. What child is this? He's the exact imprint of, of, of God. He's the exact imprint of His nature. It doesn't get more specific than that. Totally different league from other high holy men. Total different league from the prophets who came before, who offered us good pieces, but the culminating final revelation of God is in His Son, and He is the exact imprint of His nature. He's none other than God. This means He would be sinless. This means He shares the divine essence. Means he's the son. Some of you carry an ESV study Bible. It has a very good note in there that's very carefully worded. It says this regarding this passage The son is identical in substance to God, referring to the father. Identical in substance, being himself fully God in all his attributes and abilities. The son is exactly like the father. Yes, he's a distinct person, but he is God with identical substance. There's no one else like Him. No one else who has ever pitter-pattered on planet Earth has been like Him. It's worth following Him. (laughs) Exact, exact, exact. He uses actually old phrases uh, borrowed from the old culture that would be uh, for making money where you take the image and you impress it upon the coin so that it is an exact representation of the imprint. He's better than Abraham, better than Moses, better than all of them. And stop and think about it. He needs to be. He needs to be in a category all his own if he's going to redeem us. If we're going to have the spotless Lamb of God who takes away our sins, it can't be you. It can't be me. It can't be any of those giants of the faith who've gone before us that we might admire. We need one who 
has the exact same nature as God because that will mean he's holy and without sin. Not a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve, daughter of Adam. We need him to be none other than the holy God who would become a man. I hope this stirs your heart to want to worship him. I hope this stirs your heart to want to follow him and depend upon him and to to not depend upon yourself and not to depend upon your own righteousness and not to depend upon your own whatever it might be or perhaps to, to depend upon something else, some other religious spiritual system. That was exactly what was going on. And the cure for that back then as it would be now is to lift high the glory of Christ and say, look at Him. As the author will say later in Hebrews, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Worship Him. And He'll get to this. He's not here now. And you say, I know that's what makes it so hard. He's at the right hand of the Father. Oh, and by the way, that's where you want Him to be. So He can intercede on your behalf. But now I'm getting ahead in Hebrews. It should stir us to want to worship Him. It should stir us to not, to use a a, a technical theological phrase, to not commit apostasy. We do see it. You see people profess Christ and then they walk away. What's the cure? Remember who Jesus is and what He's done. What child is this? The exact representation of His nature. The exact imprint of none other than God Himself. There's nowhere else to go. Number six, and finally, what child is this? He's in control of the universe. He's in control of the universe. He says in verse 3, continuing on, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. At at least notice three things right off the bat. Notice that there's the idea of, of sustaining there. He upholds. There's, there's, he's sustaining. And, and even there, notice that it's something that's not temporal. It's continual. He upholds. It's not He upholded and now isn't. He upholds the universe. Also, notice how personal it is. Thirdly, He sustains it. It's continuous. And also, notice it's personal. He upholds it. Not This is not the God of deism. Where God created, oh, He might have even used Jesus. We doubt it if we're deists because we don't believe in supernatural other than just God Himself. But no, 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 it's not it at all. He Himself, personal, upholds the universe. He's personally engaged, personally involved. He's a personal Savior. Not one who doesn't care and is disconnected. Please remember that. Also notice on a more technical note as well, upholds the universe. The word that he uses there for upholds is not a stagnant word. Like Atlas, mythology. He upholds. 
you know, and does nothing with it other than upholds it. It's not a static word, it's an active word. It's a word of direction. You might even think of it in these terms, he carries it. As in he carries it somewhere. So, he is upholding it and, and he is going somewhere with it would capture the idea that, that time doesn't move in, in circles with no direction. There's actually a, a linearness to how history works because of Christ. He is carrying the universe and he's carrying it somewhere where, how about this, where he wants it to go. Time is not irrelevant. I like Bono, but he's wrong in that lyric. It's linear. He is the God who's in control, in charge, and He's taking it somewhere. That's why we trust Him. That's why we depend upon Him. That's what makes Him so much different than the gods or the, the, the key figures like an atlas. He's so different from mythological figures. He's carrying it to culmination. It's going somewhere. By the way, this should be encouraging too in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. I am placing my soul and my life on the line and I'm committed to someone who is not just busy juggling, trying to hold things together, but seemingly can't. He's none other than the one who is God and He is carrying the world somewhere. Trust Him. He can make some rhyme and reason out of the difficulties we face. We won't get to this this morning, but next time we'll see in this very text where he references Psalm 110, an enthronement psalm. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, this is the Father uh, and the Son, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I, I make the point because Jesus is carrying the world to an end. There is an until. It's going to ultimate reconciliation. There will be a day of reckoning for everything. And that's where He's carrying the earth. That's where He's carrying the world, I should say. But we'll talk about that next time. Unless you think somehow He's doing one of these, you know, can I get some relief down here? You know, somebody else hold my hands up. Heard that before. Keep reading. <laughs> he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How about that? <laughs> Without any effort, he spoke the worlds into being. How, how's he doing it? <laughs> no, from the right hand of the Father, by a word. Why would you go somewhere else? Why would you worship something else? Why would you worship someone else? Why would you entrust someone else with your eternal destiny? We're talking about the one who upholds the world effortlessly. Not carelessly, as in he doesn't care. Not because he's not involved, but he's not breaking a sweat. That's why we would trust him when He makes promises that seem to be undoable, He upholds the universe. Oh, by a word. I can trust Him. I 
think he might be able to get the job done. I know he can get the job done. He doesn't grow weary. Now what happens in Psalm 1 is you see a shift from the cosmos emphasis to a shift to redemption. So, so far it's been about how he's in charge and in control by and large of the world that we live in. So he's God so we can trust him. We're not talking about a mere prophet. And then he shifts and he moves into, we're not talking about a mere temporary fix when it comes to forgiveness. It's sure, it's final, it's absolute, but we're going to save that for next time. Someone asked me if I had a fever after the first hour. I said, why? Because you preached such a short sermon. I thought they wanted their money back or something. I said, I got nine points. We need to save some for next time. Praise God for that, how about? We have enough to worship Christ for. Well, Arthur Pink gives a good summary statement by saying this. He is not only the head of the spiritual realm, but he upholds all things. All movements, developments, actions are borne up and directed by the word of his power. And then I like what he does. He reminds us how we've seen glimpses of this. Glimpses of this flashed forth even in the days of his flesh, when Jesus was here on earth, is what he means. The winds and the waves were subservient to his word. Sickness and disease fled before his command. Demons were subject, subject to his authority. Even the dead came forth in response to his mighty fiat. And all through the ages, today, the whole of creation is directed by the will and word of its heir, maker, and upholder. One more time, I ask the question, what child is this? Quoting the song, the king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That is the appropriate response. Who is he? We know who he is. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Leave worshiping. Leave exalting. Leave honoring. Leave following. Leave praising. And no other. Leave loving because He loved you first. Pray with me. Father, thank You for our time together talking about these things that would be things that will end up mattering forever. Bring humility in our hearts. We all think we know so much. Yet in comparison to the great Christ, we, we know very little. And what we do know, we've learned because of your grace and because of your mercy. Stir our hearts, O God, to see Jesus for who you say he is. Not for who we might want him to be. Not for who the pastor might say he is. But stir, heart, stir our hearts to respond to Jesus as He truly is, as He's been revealed to us. Thank You for pulling all the pieces together in Him. Thank You for giving us Your final revelation, the ultimate revelation. Thank You that even what's still yet to come in the future has been solidified, has been ensured because of what Jesus has done. Even thinking of Acts 17 where we have proof that Jesus will come.
from the fact that he's been raised from the dead. So we anticipate his return. May we live for him, suffer for him, rejoice for him, and die for him. Our great, great Savior. In his name we pray, amen.